All right, so we're going to talk about viral hemorrhagic fever. I'll try to go through uh, most of the topics we need to know under this setting. So basically what I want to do is, or achieve is, to tell you something about all of them uh, and try to be very precise regarding most of them with some of them with more material to know and some of them just to let you know what they are, where they are and uh, how do they present. So pretty much name tells the story, viral hemorrhagic fever. So it's a, of course, viral, this is a febrile illness and it gives you hemorrhages. So that's pretty much it is and it is a multi-system disease. The viruses which they cause it, all of them are RNA enveloped in a fatty layer. Uh, and pretty much humans are not the actual host of those viruses. Humans are accidental hosts. The hosts are actually the other rodents or mosquitoes or ticks. So somebody, some other animals are the actual host and humans are pretty much not the actual host, but end up getting it and getting infections. So if we know the, you know, those actual hosts, rodents or mosquitoes or uh, ticks, we can pretty much locate them in different geographic areas and then can you know delineate which areas that specific illness is found. So that's another character of these diseases. So the disease is where the actual host is. So if you we know where the host is, we can tell where the disease is. So five families. Uh, so we will try to go through most of the viruses listed. Uh, and I have a disclaimer to make, most of, it, of the information is from the CDC, uh, some from Mandale, uh, that's pretty much the sources. So CDC was the main source of all the information actually. And pictures are also actually from CDC, except a very few which are not from CDC. Okay, Arena Viridi is the first group. So this group actually, all of them, before we go to know which which are which they are but basically the actual host is the rodents so anybody can tell what is the difference between these two which one is a rat and which one a mice the smaller is mouse and the bigger is rat that's what i found out during the process of working out so yeah arena virus is usually rodents which are rats mouse, sometimes squirrels, but the rats are the notorious ones. So they actually are the actual reservoir for this, these diseases. They can infect themselves, that's one way, and they keep on carrying the disease. The other ways they can trans ovarially, you know, the, the transmission happens through the ovarian transmission to the, to the kids. That's how they carry it. Then humans come into contact with them through excreta, ingestion, mucous membrane, skin breach, and some other ways to do it. And that's how people get infected. Human-to-human -human transmission, rare, but it does happen. So we'll talk more about that. But yeah, that's the main, or, you know, arena viruses. They are in the rats or rodents, and they remain, that's their host, and they get transmitted to human by contact of their excreta or themselves and that's how people get infected. Rarely you can transmit to other humans. 
So this is the list of the viruses from uh, CDC actually. So lymphocytic core meningitis virus, years of discovery. So that's the pretty much the oldest one in the list. And we all know this virus in the context of uh, transplant host who gets a meningitis and that's usually lymphocytic core meningitis virus. Uh, other viruses here which I'm going to talk about is Lassa virus and Lugio hemorrhagic fever. Basically you have viruses and the names just tell the story that's the location where those viruses are found. Argentine hemorrhagic fever, Bolivian Lassa. So that's pretty much the family is. So I'm going to talk very briefly about some of them and go on to the next family of viruses. So the first one is lymphocytic chorion meningitis virus. So if you look at the name, it has a chorion in it. So that just tells you it just causes meningitis and it has fetal implications. The mothers can transmit it to fetuses. So humans get meningitis with it and they can, you know, mothers can transmit it to babies. So that's the whole problem with this virus. So transmission is from rodent exposure, uh, person to person does not happen, but as you told, I told you earlier, vertical transmission from mother to fetuses do occur, and rarely transplantation. That's the classical case uh, for in the board review. Uh, this virus, they present a case where uh, this is the answer. Signs and symptoms, the biphasic illness, first phase is usually all of them pretty much give you the same symptoms. So really hard to say which one to, you know, just based on symptoms specify which virus it is. Fever, muscle aches, headaches, poor appetite, nausea, vomiting. Sounds like a flu-like illness, right? Uh, actually, so when that phase gets over, people get a little better, but some of them progress to the second phase. That's where actual meningitis, encephalitis, and those kind of things occur. One presentation is acute hydrocephalus in this group. People do present with hydrocephalus, and actually you can find some cases where people develop acute hydrocephalus. Mortality is low, 1%, which is great as compared to some other viruses. So all of them, pretty much all this topic, you know, talk, the diagnosis is IgM or IgG by ELISA, or you get a PCR. So that's pretty much the, all of the hemorrhagic viruses. That's the diagnostic step. Treatment, and you will hear ribavirin over and over in the stock. And even they say it's a questionable benefit, but it has in vitro activity against the virus. Treatment, sportive. <coughs> Next one, Lassa fever. So, <clears throat> Discovered in 1969 when two missionary nurses died in Nigeria. Uh, and the virus is named after the town where the virus, the first cases occurred. It's different from Ebola. 70% death rate in Ebola, 1% death rate with Lassa. And pretty much look at the number of cases which are reported. 100,000 to 300,000. And this is, this is pretty much 5,000, that's still a lot of number uh, given the burden of the disease. Okay, so geographic distribution, this is a part of Africa. 
So this is from CDC. Uh, it's not my creation, or this is actually from CDC, uh, this slide. Uh, so you have a rat, so that's how you get it. And these are the areas, pretty much Niger, Ghana, uh, Mali, part of Burkina, Burkina Faso, where you get it. And uh, the rat is multi-mamate rat, and this get, does get transmitted person to person. And again, how you transfer it or transmit to other people, rat excreta, people eat rat, that's how they get it. And then if you are pretty much, uh, aerosolized transmission is possible and rarely human to human. Sign and symptom, again, same thing. 80% uh, of people have very minor illness, fevers, malaise, weakness, and headaches. 20% of the people actually really get sick with this illness. Uh, hemorrhage, gums, eye, nose, does occur, respiratory distress, facial swelling, tremor, hearing loss, encephalitis, all those symptoms. Uh, most common complication, deafness. Interesting point. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much what it is. Diagnosis again, IgM, IgG, PCRs, ribavirin again, questionable role, but that's what they keep on mentioning pretty much in majority of those viruses. Treatment is sporting. Next one is Lucio hemorrhagic fever. I don't know if I'm saying it the right way, but uh, that's how it sounds like to me. Luco. Yeah. Um, so that virus actually very small cluster in South Africa, only five cases. Uh, and they apparently believe that one person from some other part of Africa brought that virus into South Africa. Three healthcare workers died who were taking care of that person. The fourth one didn't die and uh, he was taking ribavirin. So the ribavirin does, <laughs> does it have any effect or no? But they say, oh, possibly helpful. So the fourth one, yeah, five total, fourth one who didn't die was taking ribavirin. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I had, I could not dig more to find information whether the, the three who died were taking ribavirin or not, but uh, that's what it is. All right, so our next group of viruses, Bunia viridi. Crimean Congo, I think this is the interesting group of viruses. Crimean Congo, hemorrhagic fever, Hanta, pulmonary syndrome, hemorrhagic fever with renal syndrome, and Rift Valley fever. So these four uh, fall under this heading. So this is Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. Look at the distribution. Pretty much uh, Crimea is somewhere here in this area. So or actually right here somewhere with Ukraine, right? So yeah, pretty much all Russia, Asia, a lot of African area. So that's where this virus is. Uh, this is a tick-borne illness. Um, heart tick, which causes it. Usually domestic animals, so this tick actually can infect you directly. It infects animals, domestic goats, cattle, and those things and you can come in contact with them, the meat slaughter, people who slaughter the meat, the meat handlers, those people actually get exposed and that's how they get it. Yeah, so that's just a depiction. That is a tick which can come to you directly or through the animal. And the tick size is not, you know, huge, very small tick with huge distribution 
and the potential problem. Uh, same thing again, signs and symptoms. Uh, sudden initial signs and symptoms include headaches, fevers, back pain, joint pain, stomach pain. Interestingly, they talk about some red spots which these people develop, severe bruising, nosebleeds, uncontrolled bleeding, mortality look at 9 to 50%, so very deadly virus. Diagnosis again, ELISA, ITM, IgG, PCR, ribavirin, questionable role. Next one is hantavirus pulmonary syndrome. Yeah, there is a documentary on, uh, I believe, CNN that the, or the mystery diseases. So if you look at the documentary for Hanta Pomeroy syndrome, it's fascinating. So they, they describe a story of a young couple. The guy died totally healthy in 20s, 27, 28, I believe, totally fine. Uh, he came with the febrile illness in 72 hours, ARDS, and died without a cause. So fortunately, they were diligent enough. Even the health commissioner there said that, you know, the due diligence was exemplary because they asked anybody else died, and his wife has had died three, four days earlier with the same sickness, and that's how they actually tracked the whole disease. Uh, that's a very interesting story if you guys get a chance to watch. Of course, very dramatic. And uh, they then pretty much included many counties, you know, the four corner states, and within a few days, they figured out there are more than 50 cases, similar presentation. They were able to work it up. Uh, how people get it? Rodent bite again. That's a rare way, but that could happen. Contact with rodent urine dropping saliva, food contaminated with urine dropping saliva, infected, you know, rodent. And people at risk are pretty much campers, hikers, work-related. Uh, those kind of jobs can put you at risk. What about cats and dogs? Can they transmit? They say no, unless they kill the rat and bring it to home. So that'll be the way to get it. Okay, so these are the four rats who actually carry it. And if you look at the actual distribution areas of these rats, uh, that pretty much cover the whole uh, you know, North American continent, especially America, not the Canada, they didn't have a lot of uh, data on Canada, but America, yes. Um, and this is the incidence, pretty much. Uh, Florida has one case. Uh, surprisingly, two of those rats are endemic in Florida, but not a whole lot of cases, thank God. Um, and uh, this is the hub here. New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, even California, pretty much everywhere. Um, Yes. Not necessarily where it was acquired. True. So this is a slide which gives an incidence. Uh, the blue lines are incidence. And that the, that the black line on top of it shows mortality. Look at how high is the mortality is percentage-wise. More than, you know, 50% most of the time. So that's the mortality. And many years actually... Yeah, 50% at least mortality. One time 50, close to 60% mortality, and majority of the time 50, 40 at least. Okay, early symptoms, fever, headache, muscle aches, stomach problem, dizziness, chills. You know, these are very non-specific symptoms. 
lungs filled with blood, shortness of breath, or late symptoms. Basically, people die of, uh, you know, bleeding in the lung. As the name implies, Hanta pulmonary syndrome. So this is an x-ray six hours later of a patient, and that's a CT scan. So these people have massive, pretty much bleed and uh, uh, exudate the fluid from the capillaries and intravascular compartment to outside the compartment. Diagnosis, so pretty much same thing. If you, you have clinical case and you have lab criteria and then you have case classification. So clinical cases, if you have somebody who died of febrile illness, ARDS in 72 hours without an explanation. So that's somebody you should expect in the right uh, demographic area. The second one, one will be if you had an adopsy and patient had a massive pulmonary uh, non-cardiogenic edema and they could not find, find a cause. So those will be two questionable called clinical case definition. And then you have a lab criteria, which is the same. You have IgM, IgG, or PCR. If you make those two, com combine them together, that becomes the case. Uh, pretty much that's what it is. So you have to have high index of suspicion and then labs. Treatment, sporty care in ICU, no rebuvering. He mentioned here though. <laughs> All right, hemorrhagic fever with renal syndrome is the next one. Uh, so this is actually a bunch of viruses which uh, pretty much involve lungs and the kidney. Uh, these viruses are Hantan, Dobrava, Surima, Sol, Pump. So these are pretty much a bunch of viruses which can cause these manifestations. Um, and uh, Distribution is pretty much worldwide. So if you look at each virus, they tell you pretty much worldwide. You know, Hantan is Asia, China, Russia, Korea. Pumela is Scandinavia, West Europe, Western Russia, Balkans. So these viruses are pretty much everywhere. And recently there is an outbreak uh, which CDC confirms and uh, rat owners the one who got that disease. So pretty much that's actually active uh, uh, investigation going on right now. All right, next one is Rift Valley Fever. Uh, so I want to give you something about all of them. So Rift Valley. So this is a, a valley in Africa, Eastern Africa, where, you know, it uh, first got discovered Kenya's Rift Valley in early 1910s um, and uh, sadly cattle, buffalo, sheep, goats and camels they all get infected. Uh, the cases have been reported pretty much sub-Saharan Africa, Saudi Arabia uh, and over years many outbreaks keep on happening like for example in 1977 there was one in Egypt and uh, actually 600 human deaths were reported in that outbreak. So that is actually the valley which you know the red line you see and these two pictures are Rift Valley but if you look at the virus it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, the blue area or blue labeled countries are endemic for this disease so look at the distribution it's definitely not just to Rift Valley it's pretty much everywhere. And then you have uh, countries which keep on reporting isolated cases which are in green. Uh, 
Um, so that's pretty much Africa and uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, that part. How do people get it? So this is a mosquito-borne disease. So mosquitoes, they hatch or lay eggs or in the water. And surprisingly, when even the water dries up, those eggs can survive for years and years. And when it rains, those start growing. They, it rains, now you have more of those mosquitoes because it's, uh, those eggs become active. And these viruses can be transmitted from mosquito to mosquito transovarially or you know, genetically. They have to be infected. And then, then either directly bite humans or through animals. That's how it gets transferred to humans. Um, a very deadly, deadly disease for cattle, actually. Uh, that's pretty much how that happened. No human-to-human -human transmission has occurred. 90% minor illness, no symptoms at all, fever, generalized weakness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And we have 8 to 10% people who get serious illness. Uh, retinitis is one of the common problems people mention in this category, you know, 10% which get severe symptoms. Uh, and even people lose the vision, meningitis, encephalitis, and hemorrhagic fever. So this side of the story, 50% die. So that's a high mortality on this side. Diagnosis, again, PCR or IgG, IgM, uh, supportive treatment. And there is actually a vaccination trial which is in, uh, in progress right now. So we'll, we'll hear in future what they say about that. All right, guys, next one, phyloviridae. So these are two big heavy guns, Ebola and Marburg hemorrhagic fever. Um, so Ebola, the, you know, if you just show you a slide uh, with the very particular characters like a letter of eight, A, uh, you know, those letters, so that's Ebola, that's how it looks. So if that <coughs> helps you remember. So if the, a virus looks like in those shapes, particular shapes, that is Ebola. So rare and deadly disease, most commonly affecting people and non-human primates, monkeys, gorillas, and chimpanzees. First discovered in 1976 near the Ebola River in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. So that's where the you know, Congo River or you know, Ebola is, Ebola River. So yeah, this slide I didn't realize does not tell you much, but uh, that's pretty much Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, all right, uh, how reservoir host is bats. Uh, bats can pretty much infect other animals. Then bats can affect humans. Animals can affect humans. And then humans can you know, transmit to humans. So this becomes more deadly or most, uh, you know, transmissible because human-to-human -human transmission is possible and it does occur. Uh, and there is a particular mention of people who even survive of the illness. Now, actually, there is a whole guideline if how they, you know, survivors guilt if they develop, uh, have sexual relations with somebody. So that women should uh, be counseled. Uh, has to have uh, you know protected sex all the time, and uh, how to dispose of that you know material, 
and if that lady develops symptoms uh, within 21 days it needs to see, seek help. So a lot of these people actually never are able to go back to normal life. All right, so this is uh, some uh, outbreaks. Uh, you know, even now, actively, there is a outbreak going on, Bikoro, all the way on the top. Uh, the deadliest disease, you know, if you look at keep on happening, you know, since 2000, they have a lot of data, but that's what I chose just to give some idea. So this was the deadliest, you know, year, 2014 to 2016. Uh, look at 28,000 affected and 11,000 died. That's close to 40,000, 50, I mean 40% fatality rate. And it was multi-country outbreak. Uh, so that is pretty much, uh, you know, a uh, that outbreak is divided on that part of the slide. Uh, even America had reported one, United, King, United States had four, and luckily all of them were travelers, that's what they said. United Kingdom had one, Spain had one, but majority of those cases were Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guyana. So this is pretty much red uh, area where the highest uh, cases are. And this is again the same slide, just reflecting on those countries where the most cases were uh, with the number of deaths and the cases. And there is actually, as I told you, there's a recent outbreak in this part by Koro, which is actually a problem right now. So they're working on that uh, actively. Not exactly, no actual data, how much uh, cases are there and how much death rate is there. So that is, I think, still an evolving process. and we will know some in the near future. Okay, uh, when is someone able to spread the disease? So pretty much if you have, uh, you know, 21 days are passed, then you are, you don't have Ebola. That's what pretty much what they say. Uh, there's a pretty much extensive education campaigns. What is flu, what is Ebola? Uh, and uh, I think key is right here. The signs and symptoms of flu usually develop within two days after exposure. Symptoms come on quickly and all at once. Signs and symptoms of Ebola can appear two to 21 days after exposure. The average time is eight to 10 days. Symptoms of Ebola develop after several days and become progressively more severe. People with Ebola cannot spread virus until symptoms become become apparent or symptoms appear. So this is pretty much uh, racing his time. Flu-like, fever, fatigue, vomiting, diarrhea, and then bleeding. Bleeding is pretty much from everywhere. So when it does happen. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much, you know, um, symptoms start, uh, maximum incubation period, and that pretty much that explains. Okay, diagnosis. Um, person under investigation. Uh, if you have somebody who has consistent signs and symptoms, then you should think about it. And they pretty much define it. Elevated body temperature, subjective fever, or unexplained hemorrhage. And if you are in the right geographic area or if you have epidemiological link, 
and then you have to uh, confirm the wires by labs. And one interesting thing is, even if you have a positive PCR, you have to send it to uh, CDC. They will actually run it for you, and that's how you get the confirmation. Thank you. <clears throat> so what happens if somebody uh, has symptoms, but uh, you, know, you got the PCR done within 72 hours? Uh, that does not rule out Ebola. You actually have to repeat it after 72 hours to make sure that's not the case. Uh, so that's pretty much about it. Very deadly, even you send the sample, that's just an example how you have to send it. Very discreet and uh, there is a way to send it. Uh, and uh, luckily I was looking at it, how hard it is to kill this virus and uh, it falls way below, you know, some of the stuff which is up there. Um, yeah, <laughs> prion takes the pretty much top and uh, bacterial spores on the second, coccidia is, you know, number three. So it falls quite below, which is great. Uh, treatment, so mainly sportive, fluids, electrolytes, oxygen therapy, uh, treat other infections against sportive care. So there, this is a vaccine which is actually being used in uh, that outbreak right now. So we'll see what we hear about it. Apparently in 2014, it had some promising results. FDA has not approved it yet, it, uh, approval is pending. Uh, they're using it, so we'll hear and see what this vaccine do. Yeah, some more. Uh, so this is actually preparedness for the healthcare system, which CDC has uh, developed, initiate, identify, isolate, and inform. So, and I looked at the you know CDC for what to do waste management wise and uh, personal protection equipment wise, and then uh, all those things. And it looks like that's a lecture in itself. That's. Uh, uh, quite few hours can be spent on those, uh, you know, guidelines and how they recommend to do it. Yeah, so even uh, men, you know, because this is, you know, remember in Africa and even calling ambulance for those people to be transported to hospital rather than somebody or the family member, trans, you know, transporting. So that becomes a, that kind of education at local level that people do not, if somebody's sick, do not get into contact with them at all. So that kind of things are, you know, pretty much uh, a lot of effort in education actually in that part. Uh, next one is Marburg virus, which is the second in the group. First recognized in 1967 when outbreaks of hemorrhagic fever occurred simultaneously in labs in Marburg and Frankfurt. So those are two areas of Germany and Belgrade. 31 people became ill, initially lab workers followed by several medical personnel and family members who had cared for them, seven deaths. Uh, and uh, they finally found out that was actually because of those African green monkey, monkeys, which were actually, those people were having research with, might have transferred the virus. Uh, so that's pretty much again the part of the world which is affected more, you know, uh, Johannesburg 
and actually gives you the outbreak years and th these are outbreaks pretty much um, they now and then few cases pop up but I think that's the highest number in Gola uh, where th that was the highest burden year transmissions <coughs> so Af African fruit bat so apparently this is a humongous bat which actually is reservoir for the Marburg virus uh, and these fruit bats or you know uh, they have a particular name which I cannot even say right I'm not gonna even try so these are actually the reservoir for this virus and they actually you know you come in contact with them and that's how you get it human-to-human um, -human transmission again is possible in this group so Ebola and Marburg both can be human-to-human -human. yeah sign and symptoms basically here there was a interesting point the fifth day that's when a rash appears in this disease and everything goes south pretty much uh, you know leaky capillaries and uh, intensive cytokine release kind of driven everything so that's what happens here. <clears throat> Diagnosis, IgM, IgG, PCR treatment is supportive. Unfortunately, not much to offer. All right, next one is uh, paramyxoviridae. So we're gonna talk about two viruses, Hendra virus disease and Nipah virus encephalitis. So Hendra virus disease. So this is a bat, whether you believe it or not, they call it a flying fox. Um, and it was first isolated in 1994 from specimen obtained during an outbreak of respiratory and neurological disease in horses and humans in Hendra, Australia. Uh, flying fox are their actual reservoir, natural reservoir. Very few cases, 1994 to 2013, only seven human cases, so which is great. Very, not a whole lot of cases, and that's how people get it. Uh, fat, you know, bats feed on those trees. Animals eat them, or they actually, you know, actually can infect those animals. So that's how they get it. And that's the area of transmission, the one in the r uh, red. So pretty much Australia, and that's their eastern border. Um, yeah, that's, and uh, if you look at the other one, Nipah virus, which is the next virus, so that's the area for Nipah virus. Uh, this is uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, and that is, I think, Bangladesh, Bhutan, and some part of India. Uh, so that's the area for these viruses. Symptoms, flu-like illness, military respiratory failure, diagnosis the same way. Four out of seven people died, so which is kind of more than 50%. Actually, there is a vaccination for horses, which is in use, but it has some resistance for, from the horse, uh, you know, people who deal with the horses in that part of the world apparently has not gained a lot of popularity and they're having some resistance with it, widespread use. Uh, but there is a uh, vaccination for horses. 
There is a post-exposure neutralizing antibody, which is in clinical trials. <coughs> Next one is Nipah virus encephalitis. So yeah, this virus is those blue dots. Um, initially isolated and identified in 1999 during an outbreak of encephalitis and respiratory illness among pig farmers and people with close contact with pigs in Malaysia and Singapore. Actually, uh, if uh, yeah, so the incidence of uh, this disease in uh, Malaysia and Singapore went down, and they report they killed more than one million pigs to get rid of it. Uh, but Bangladesh and the part of India is where it keeps on having outbreaks now and then, pretty much every year. Uh, looks sounds like you know the source control issue. The Malaysia or the Singapore, they were able to get rid of the virus by killing the host. So yeah, uh, this group one goes to the bats, uh, you know, and uh, affects the pigs or that's how it is. Yeah, hand rise to the horses and uh, knee points to the pigs and bat is the actual reservoir. Um, and you know, Southeast Asia and Australia are the main areas where the disease is. Sign and symptoms, uh, incubation period is five to 14 days, illness three to 14 days of fever, headaches followed by drowsiness, disorientation and mental confusions. Coma within 24 to 48 hours, respiratory illness during the early part of their infections, uh, and half of them actually have, you know, neurological signs and uh, pulmonary signs. Uh, Bangladesh, actually, that's the outbreak we talked about, 1988-1999 um, in Singapore and Malaysia, but Bangladesh and India, since 2001, they, they keep on having cases, yeah. No treatment, just supportive care, diagnosis again, detection of antibodies or actual virus by PCR. All right, last one, flavoridity. Uh, so natural host is arthropods, which are mosquitoes and ticks. And uh, that's where this group falls into. Um, so they are transmitted for, you know, responsible for encephalitis and hemorrhagic disease. And interesting thing about this group is they are tick-borne. Uh, some of the mosquito-transmitted viruses, so this group actually, yellow fever, dengue fever, Japanese encephalitis, uh, Zika virus also falls under different, you know, genera in the same group. Tick-borne encephalitis. Uh, isolated in 1937, has three different viruses, uh, as the name implies, European and Western, Siberian, and Far Eastern. So these are three kind of viruses. Uh, this is a distribution of these viruses. So pretty much uh, Japan, part of Russia, all the way to Europe, and all the way into Europe, yes. So that's where it is. Europe, former Soviet Union, and Asia. Transmission, uh, reservoirs and hosts are ticks, especially, especially hard ticks of the family Ixoitidae. Main host is small rodents, and accidental hosts are humans. 
uh, large animal service feeding hosts for the ticks, but do not play a role in maintenance of the virus. Again, transovarian transmission happens, uh, thousands of cases per year. I could not figure out exact incidence data because it looks multi, uh, many countries are involved, but they report thousands of cases a year. Signs and symptoms, approximately two of patients infected with the European um, virus has early viremic phase. Uh, so basically they might have some minor differences uh, based upon the virus type, uh, but encephalitis or meningoencephalitis is the common theme here. Diagnosis is uh, detection of antibodies or PCR. Treatment is supportive. Vaccine is available, but it has some um, adverse effects, especially reported in children, and they're questioning efficacy. So that's a debate which is going on right now about uh, should that vaccine be used or not. Okay, next one is Al-Khurba hemorrhagic fever. So that is actually very few cases which were reported uh, part of Saudi Arabia and some in Egypt actually and they have uh, something to do with the camels they say and animal the people who slaughter them or the handle the meat and those kind of activities uh, transmitted through the ticks that's uh, you know the ticks either bite camels or other animals or humans no human to human transmission reported yet So this same area, actually, the other diseases which can happen are Rift Valley fever and Congo uh, hemorrhagic fever, Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. So that's why it's a little tricky. Treatment is supportive, mortality is variable. So that's what it is. Okay, next one is case Sanur forest disease. So that's pretty much uh, part of India where the disease is, and it's a tick-borne. Uh, acquired after contact with an infected animal, most importantly a dead monkey. Apparently that's what, uh, you know, if the animal is sick, that I'll don't go near to him, and especially if it's a dead monkey, that for some reason is uh, responsible for many uh, outbreaks. Um, actually 400 to 500 cases per year are reported with this disease in that part of the world. Incubation period, three to eight days, 80% uh, of the cases people do well, duration of, you know, those symptoms are less than two weeks, but trouble starts when uh, people, 20% of them actually crash two weeks. So that's where the severe illness comes. They develop neurological manifestations, severe headaches, mental disturbance, tremor, and vision def deficits. Case fatality rate is three to five percent. So not very huge, but still significant. Okay, next one is uh, OMSEC hemorrhagic fever. <coughs> so that's uh, a part of actually, you know, looks like part of Russia, Russian Federation. Uh, tick bites through contact with the blood, feces, or urine of an infected, sick, or dead animal, most commonly rodents. So this is a tick-borne. Rodents may serve the intermediate host. Uh, interestingly, can be transmitted through the milk of infected goats or sheep to humans. Uh, 
so that was only thing different. So the the previous one, the al hurumawar so the, those cattle, if you consume their milk, they said there has not been any documentation of actual transmission of that uh, disease through milk consumption. But this disease, it, they have seen the transmission by consuming the milk, which uh, I think would report sometime that it, it can be transmitted through consumption of milk if it's uh, infected anymore. And so that's uh, the local ecology that take small rodents directly or through them. That's how people get it. Uh, pretty much. Diagnosis by detection of antibodies or PCR, treatment is supportive, signs and symptoms pretty much the same, chills, fever, headaches and those things. Case fatalities 5.5 to 3 percent which is not very high as compared to the other in this group or in this uh, topic. And that's all. <laughs> Questions, concerns, comments? 